Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Justine Clement. She is a breath worker, a breath coach, a forest bathing guide. Uh, you also take people into the sea. Uh, and this is in Britain. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't uh, the Caribbean. Uh, so you're, you're taking brave souls into, uh, into the oceans around Britain. Uh, and uh, you are also an entrepreneur. And uh, I'm very looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Justine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm sorry it wasn't a more precise um, uh, summary of what it is that I do, but that that pretty much encapsulates it all. Thank you. Brilliant. And and uh, in fact, as we were going through this as you came on, you you mentioned that uh, these all connect in some way. Uh, you, you mentioned elements. I wonder, wonder, but maybe is that the place to start? How all of these things thread together, and then we can dive into the different aspects of uh, what you Yeah, okay, we'll start there and maybe work our way backwards. But yes, each thing that I do links to an element, but that's really just a succinct way of bringing it together because I don't think we think about the elements too much around us, whereas at, at some point in our history, we were governed by the elements. But yes, breath for me is about, uh, it's obviously the element of air, but it, for me, it's about connecting back to ourselves because we've become a very mind uh dominated species and i think you talked about this in one of your earlier podcasts but um we want everything to be scientifically based and have a piece of paper to prove um that it's valid or it's any good um and everything that we do is based around the mind and how do we think rather than how do we feel so the breath work is connecting to the element of air but it's also about reconnecting to ourselves and actually bringing our uh, not to use too fluffy a word, but our energy rather than it all being around our head back into our bodies. And then the sea bathing, obviously, is linked to water. And that's got a, a couple of uh, overall overarching benefits, which is about, um, again, it's about coming back into the body because you can't think of anything else but the body when you're going into water. And as you touched on it, uh, it is cold water and, and all the waters off the coast of Britain or within the coast. I mean, rivers are even colder than the sea, but they're all classed as cold water. So you do have to have some level of experience or knowledge or go with someone that you want to before going in the water. Because, I mean, actually, in July this year, it got warmer, but it, it's always it's always going to take your breath away. So immersing yourself in that cold water brings you fully into the present and makes you think about your body. But it's also great for it's great for soothing um, stress levels. Uh, and so I think with the with the sea bathing, it's about bringing us back into the present and, and again, concentrating a bit more on the body rather than thinking about things. And then the forest bathing is really a combination of all of that as well. And that is the element of earth. So. In, in terms of mentioning that and the cold, I did something yesterday. Um, I actually took my own shoes off and walked around so, something called a labyrinth, which is a little bit like a maze, but has a bit more of a of um of a history to it, um, of how we we walk labyrinths in the past. And I thought I would take my shoes off despite someone saying it's quite cold this time of year. I thought that's it's not going to touch me. I go cold water bathing and I'm always telling people to take their shoes off in the forest. Took my shoes off and it was probably 40 minutes spent in this walking around this labyrinth. 
oh my gosh, my feet were absolutely like ice by the end of it. But bringing your, with forest bathing, it's about reconnecting to that element of earth. And ideally during some forest bathing sessions, getting people to take their shoes off and walk on the bare earth and actually feel that connection again that I feel that we've lost to the earth. Um, and again, the forest bathing is also about coming back into the present and into the body, taking that energy, that busy mind um, energy and bringing it down into the body. So those are the three that I generally work with. And I'm moving a little bit into the element of fire as well, which fire through the history. We sat around fires a lot more than we do now. We did storytelling. We passed on wisdom. So trying in a not too kind of uh, out there kind of way just to appeal to as many people as possible to bring back that element of fire into our lives as well and maybe gather around the fire, do a bit of storytelling. Um, and that's something that I'm just kind of really learning about now is um, about our missing connection to the element of fire. So that's where all of those come from, if that's a very quick summary. Yes, no. Uh, I love that, uh, and that that makes sense. And in this sense of connection, seems to be the theme. Running it's all it. about connection, absolutely. Um, and we're always connected to something, right? But perhaps, as you said in your intro, most of the time, we're we're connected to our our thinking, you know, our intellect. Exactly. This is exactly. About... And I don't know where it's getting us. You know, at the moment, things are a bit of a mess, and I don't know necessarily that it's worked. When we when I take people forest bathing, I talk about the fact that um, that we are nature. There's something called the biophilia hypothesis, and it's the idea that actually we've um, we've evolved in nature, and going back over you know millions of years of human history or the evolution of human beings, actually we evolved in a forested environment, and we've become disconnected to it. And the disconnection probably to nature happened when we went from being hunter-gatherers to moving into arable farming. So that would have been about, well, there's different reports, but around 11,000 years ago. So we then started carving up the land. So this is my bit, this is your bit, and not moving from one place to another, growing our crops, selling our crops. And then then sort of moving into the Christian period when we sort of put the church in between uh, human beings and the divine, for want of a better word, God, whatever, whatever it is that that means to you, something greater than that. I mean, most people don't use the word God anymore, but something greater than yourselves. We used to revere nature and maybe look at the sun and the stars and have a different way of operating. But then the church came in and then it was it was very much about certainly in Christ, you know, I can't talk beyond that. But in Christian nations, it was very much about you go to the church to find your wisdom. And then fast forward to the Industrial Revolution and really when science came in, then we moved a bit further from nature. And I think for me, that all leads into a bit of a disconnection from ourselves and moving up into the mind and moving away from the body and the disconnection to to nature and the planet, which um, I'm just, you know, lots of people are now talking about whether it it serves us. And in fact, I was reading an article this morning about the pursuit of growth. If we continue to pursue growth constantly, uh, where, you know, where are we going to end up? And the conversations are getting more and more serious as we move on. 
So I hope that with some of my work and reconnecting, um, helping people reconnect to themselves through some of that work and reconnecting to nature, which in effect would be ourselves if you took into account the biophilia hypothesis that we are nature, then um, I feel that that will help people not only think about nature a bit differently and how we can look after the planet, but also ourselves, focusing on ourselves. Because I just find nowadays most people that I see and that I work with, and I can feel it in myself as well, moving into overwhelm so much of the time because, because we are so busy and we're very much a doing kind of um, species nowadays. If we're not doing, we don't feel like we're worthy. Um, I, I was certainly brought up in a family like that. You know, my parents, uh, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur, but my mum helped as well in the business. And we, you know, we're a family of doers. I still see it with, you know, with my parents and my sister. And it's, to use that word again, it's undoing a bit of that and feeling comfortable being not in this space of kind of all these slightly tetchy emotions of anger, overwhelm. All the work that I do is about trying to help people mitigate some of that. I'm not saying that any of it is a is a miracle cure. It is. In the moment, it is a miracle cure. When I take people forest bathing, when I take people for breathwork sessions, and when we go into the sea together, they are miracle cures at the time. But of course, you then go back into your day-to-day living and those effects if you don't keep practicing them then of course they're going to come in again so for that reason I don't say they're a miracle cure but if you can introduce some of these tools into your day-to-day life I see from each one of those let alone if you actually put them all together have an incredible effect on people really really incredible yeah and when did this this journey for into connecting to the elements start for you? Well, I think I used to do it when I was young. I mean, certainly with the forest bathing, I spent, I grew up in Cornwall and I spent uh, a huge amount of time out in nature. And then what happened? Well, and also I grew up with my, my father from 12 had a sports shop and a gym and he, you know, we were always like, a, we would go out walking the Cornish coast when we were young as a family or we'd be in the gym or so there was always a physical kind of fitness side to me and I was I was out in nature a lot and I was in the sea a lot you know we were lucky we had the north Cornish coastline you know very wavy and my dad would take me out at the weekends and I was very comfortable being in the sea and I knew how good it was for you and I've always gravitated towards that um so those all those elements maybe not the breath work but those elements of physical fitness and being outdoors in nature were always present when I was young and then you know I moved away I started traveling and I was always by water but then I moved to London and I've I've been in and around London probably for the last 25-30 years of my life now and there was quite a period in the middle where you know, I was doing the things that lots of young people do, going out, partying, not really thinking about any of the the stuff that I'm talking about now. And I don't know where there was a change, but I think there was a bit of an issue with my own health, um, and maybe not looking after myself. And I started to see a kinesiologist. It was, I don't know, probably 25 years ago. What's a kinesiologist? 
a kinesiologist, well, I don't, yeah, I don't want this to sound too mad either, but it's the idea that um, when we have uh, an illness or a problem in our body, it's linked to something in the body that's that's maybe gone offline or isn't functioning properly. So maybe one organ, uh, I think Katie Brindle was talking about the major organs, the five major organs as the kind of operating um, function of the body. When some of those go offline, kinesiology believes that there's a test to see which which um, part of the body has gone offline, to use like a modern term. And they do something called muscle testing. And your muscle kind of, a different test will fire towards a different organ. So I don't remember because I'm not a kinesiologist, but for example, you could hold your hand out and they will push down on your arm and that that particular test will link to a particular organ. And if it's firing and operating operating correctly, then you'll be able to hold your arm out. It's quite fascinating. If it's weak for that particular test that they're tr- trying you for, um, you won't be able to hold your arm out. So the, so the kinesiologist will be lightly pressing on your, for example, for this test, you literally won't be able to hold your arm up. So there's okay. there's so many different tests on the body. It's really fascinating. And so I began to realize that the body wasn't just a thing to be moved. You know, I was very active cycling, uh, running, swimming, tennis. So for me, the body was about moving it and, um, you know, working it out. And then I realized that there was a connection to the mind and the body. And then at that time, there was a big, uh, there was a big surge in popularity of Ashtanga yoga. It was Madonna and different people and Sting were really into Ashtanga yoga. So I started having a really deep practice in yoga. And it was a really slow involvement of um, noticing my body in a different way, different way to sort of working it out and moving it as quickly as I could. And I think it was it was a deeper practice of that with the kinesiology that then started. I'm really, really curious. I haven't had a hugely traumatic. I had, you know, quite a, a, a nice upbringing, not too many issues, really. So I don't come into my the work that I do from a background of trauma. I do it from a background of curiosity, but also curious, a, a bit like the podcast is curious in terms of what does it take to be <clears throat> a better human and to live a better life. And so those kind of combinations and for me, a bit of, you know, some physical issues that I was dealing with, I just went into a whole exploratory pattern really. And I'm really, really curious about people that are doing things that I've never heard of, but where I'm really interested is how you bring those into the mainstream. And my father always read the Times and I would read the Star magazine. And I loved the way the Star magazine would present things that were really quirky. So, for example, I always remember they did an article on the chakras. Well, most people reading the Star magazine, that was probably 20 years ago, would just think that that was just a bit too way out there. But the way that they presented it was in a really digestible way for someone who doesn't want to get freaked out that they're reading something a bit too, you know, a bit too woo-woo, a bit too out there. And that's what drew me really to, to breathwork. And I actually saw an article in, in that very magazine by the, the guy that I ended up training with, uh, and it was a double-page spread about something called transformational breathing. It was about 
15 years ago that I read it. And I just was totally fascinated by it, how breathwork can um, have such an effect on you, your life, how you uh, react to others. So, you know, on an emotional level, on a physical level and on a, you could say a spiritual level, but you could say a closer connection to yourself, self-knowledge level. So for me, you know, to answer your question, it's really come from a background of of a bit of of well-being in in different areas a curiosity and then a thirst to kind of work out how could i overcome some of the the challenges the health challenges that i had at the time and then forest bathing was the same i think i read about it about 6 years ago and i was just coming back into that connection i think as you get past your kind of mid-30s, you start maybe to come back a little bit more out of that phase of partying and just thinking about yourself to a bit of exploration and also what what was it when you were younger that made you feel good. And I read about forest bathing and I'm fascinated by Japanese history and culture. And um yeah, I just I just went on a on a, a couple of days workshop to find out what it was all about. And these things, you know, you can go and you can do your training. And actually, the training for forest bathing was over three years, but several long weekends. But it's the parts in the middle that actually are the bits where you really learn the most when you're going out and you're doing it yourself. All these things take time. And it's the same with the breath work. You can go. I spent a year training to be a breath work. Um, breath worker, breath work coach, but it's in seeing the different clients and doing the breath work myself and understanding what works, what doesn't work. I'm very realistic as well. You know, I'll never say to someone, this is going to cure absolutely everything that you've ever worried about. But when I see the reactions that people have to all these things, then it, it just takes years to get that experience to, to really um, embody it yourself. Right, I hope right. That's answered your question. Yeah, and 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 so I'm curious. You mentioned there was something, you know, a bit. You, you're you're in London. You're exercising a lot. You're partying a bit, but there was sort of something off with your well being that drew you to Ashtanga. Did, what was it? Was it just just a feeling of like I could be more healthy, or was it something specific? Like what drew no, you? No, it was something specific around my stomach, and I don't really know exactly what it was. But I'm I, I don't really. I suppose I'll never really know. But I think. Definitely partying, um, being a busy person. Um, I think it was a bit of a mixture of everything and and just feeling that um, things could be better, that I could be Mm. feeling healthier, that I could be on on better form. So it was a bit of a mixture of the two, to be honest. Right. And then and what was the impact of the Ashtanga? How did yeah, how did that affect you? Well, I mean, that's a that's a great question because the story really fits in brilliantly to, to everything that I've said. So I did Ashtanga really because I thought you get, you know, you get great physical benefits from Ashtanga because this was at the beginning of my journey. And look, you know, at the amazing outcomes that someone like Madonna or Sting have had. I went into it from a physical aspect. And actually, when I look at quite, and I all, when I do something, I always like to seek out who's the best teacher. And I ended up doing a session actually with, I think Sting or his wife was in the room because it was really popular at the time. 
with the guru of Ashtanga Yoga. He subsequently passed away. But even from that perspective, the room was very, um, it's very high energy, but the people that would teach you were quite pushy. So would push you into postures and would push you into moving forward. And actually, I ended up with um, a couple of significant injuries, one of which led, I think, ultimately oh, wow. led me to having a, um, I had, I, I um, ruptured my cruciate ligament. I was actually skiing, but I think there was a lead up to it from pushing my knee beyond where it needed to go. So the lessons were there even with the yoga, which for me was really to slow down and pay more attention to my body. But I would get up, um, you know, it was ridiculous. I would live in Balham and I would live on a first floor flat and I'd, I'd keep my bike up there, get up at half past five, trying not to wake anyone up, getting my bike down a couple of flights of stairs, cycling from Balham to Clapham Junction to do like a 6 a.m. class cycle back, have a shower, get my clo posh clothes on for an office job, you know, get back on the tube or cycle to work. I mean, it's just crazy. And I think this is the thing. It's we just live in this crazy space of just trying to fit so much in. So everything that I was doing in my outside life was really mitigating probably any of the benefits that I was getting from the yoga. But but there was lots of things that I got from it that I kind of took forward, really, which was understanding myself and my body and my 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 mental state, which I'd never really thought about before yoga. And as well as my breath work, really, I'd never even thought about my breath before yoga. And even though the type of breath work that I do now is very different from from a yogic breath, it was the start of really noticing if I slowed my breath down, if I noticed my breathing even, how does that change how I feel on a moment-to-moment -moment basis? So, I you know, there was a lot of grounding that came out of, of, of the yogic practice. And well, and that intrigues me because I've done a lot, lot of yoga and I've also done that routine of getting up for 6 a.m. <laughs> Ashtanga classes. And it can be intense. And I can't imagine what it would be like if you then had a pushy, <laughs> pushy teacher on top of already doing Ashtanga. Um, so how did that parry into the breathwork? Like what, what's the difference between that, that type of yoga, you know, the type of breath that you might yeah. experience in a yoga class to what you then went on to learn? So yogic breath is, is also called pranayama breath. And there's, you know, there's so many different types. There's over a thousand types of those, those types of breath mm. alone. And um, pranayamic breath or yogic breath is, is known as breath control because you're, for example, there's a, there's one particular type that's called box breathing. You can sit at your desk and do it. Great. You know, if you're feeling a bit tense, you breathe in for a count of five, you hold for a count of five, breathe out. So what you're doing is you're controlling your breathing. And it's the same with yoga as you're breathing through your body. You're controlling your breath in different ways. So we would call that um, not not as in male and female, but a masculine and a feminine type of energy. That would be more the masculine type of energy, which in in Chinese would be called a yang, a yang. So a masculine type of energy because we're controlling it. The type of breathwork that I do would be more on the yin, so the feminine side, because it's about breath release. 
So we're breathing in. I mean, it's quite different because uh, we're breathing in through the mouth and the type of yoga that I do, which is called conscious connected breathing. So you're breathing in, but then the out breath is a release. And the reason that I like that is because of everything that I've spoken about already is that we have so much control in our lives. I mean, I see it in my own life, but I see it in everybody else's and I see it in the clients that come to me. We're very busy trying to control our environments and not let them go out of control. And also we have so many different things now to help us control our lives from getting in our cars and our power steering or, you know, parking or whatever it is, there's there's just control everywhere. So what I really like about this type of breath, look, it's not about control. It's the out breath is all about the release. So that's where they differ. Right. And so it's, and just to, I can't help but want to try and practice it now. So yeah. I'm coming in through my mouth. Yes. And then, and then release. Yeah. So there are five different components to the type of breathwork that I do. So the first is the mouth is open. And we don't advocate mouth breathing on a day to day basis. It's very specific for this, for this breathing technique. So the mouth is open throughout. We're breathing into our abdomen which yeah. um, which you know is the case with quite a lot of breath work but we're bringing yeah. the breath right down because most people are chest breathers we develop quite poor breathing patterns over the course of our lifetime but if you look at a healthy baby you'll see that both their chest and their abdomens are actually rising and falling with each breath and we're using our diaphragm which lines our yeah. rib cage to to breathe but actually as we develop poor breathing patterns for lots of reasons over our lifetime probably about 70 percent of breathe people are breathing into quite shallowly into our into their chests so we're bringing the breath right down into the abdomen which stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system so it brings us bodies down into that rest and digest mode and the third part of it is a connected breathing as you know as it as per the the title of it um and most land mammals um, have a connected breath, which means there are no pauses between the inhale and the exhale. But human beings are, I think, the only land mammal that doesn't have um, a connected breath. So what we're doing in this breath work is where there's no pauses between the inhale and the exhale. So it's almost like a circular type of breathing. So there are no pauses. And when there are with people, we delete, you know, I, I delete the pauses with someone by just speeding it up slightly. And it's quite tricky to go into um, exactly why it is in a scientific way. But the research that they've done is this type of breathwork is called a self-healing modality. So even I'm, as I'm there as the facilitator, it's the body's own intelligence that's doing the healing. And that's understood to be from doing the connected breathing. So the third part is it's connected. The fourth part is about the exhale and it's very short and it's soft. So if I had a mark on my glasses, the exhale would be very short and soft or a bit like the end of a yawn. Okay, and then the fifth yeah. component. Like a puff. Sort of exactly, just a little puff and not forced. And actually, right. we can tell a lot about people's lives and people's patterns by how they breathe. And so forced breathing or, you know, really labored out breath would tell us something about the person or maybe their lifestyle. And then the fifth point is about the inhale. And that's really where we talk about the receiving and breath is all about um, life or life force. I know you touched upon that with Katie Brindle. Mm. 
So um, in the East, they would call, uh, or you know, even in Sanskrit and yogic tradition, breath is known as prana or chi or ki, which when you translate that means life or life force energy. So what we're saying with the breath is when you're breathing in, all the focus is on the inhale. And we try not to get too much into figures, but it's a ratio of about four to one. So four on the inhale, one on the exhale. But we don't want people to go too much into their minds in terms of thinking about the four to one. So the inhale is considerably longer than the exhale. And it's for that reason, we're bringing oxygen into the body or life or life force into that body in the inhale. So it's feeling the belly expand as you inhale and then and the other thing that is, is very different down. to how we normally breathe it's it? that very, feels very counter counterintuitive right and, very, and they're very different to the yogic thing where you're trying to sort of almost like weight weight them equally or very often in yoga yes. you try and extend the the out breath longer than exactly the very very different and you wouldn't be sat up doing this it's a little bit more tricky we can do it sat up of course but not 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 anything really beyond just practicing it so people are either lying down flat depending on if they've got any respiratory or heart or any you know blood pressure issues They'd either be lying flat or just slightly semi-elevated. So this isn't the type of breathwork that you would do when you're at your desk at work feeling stressed. This is a type of breathwork that you would carve out a little bit of time. You would either do your self-practice or you would come to someone like me or you could go to a group workshop and do it. But it's very specific. And like I said, we don't, I don't advocate mouth breathing outside of this technique, but it's... Um, it's just very specific to the session and really the session can last anything i practice um probably six days a week and i will do a half hour session but you could do you could do 10 minutes but you could join um a workshop or you know you can do an online workshop as well and that could be anything up to an hour but i guess the norm would be about 40 45 minutes if you were going to have a session with a with a practitioner like myself and so how did you how did you first learn learn about it what star magazine so, to the so yeah star magazine i saw it and actually i was running a company at the time called unmissable which was creating uh, travel experiences for big consumer brands and i was coming up to a 10-year anniversary and i just read this article and um the 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 owners the of the business said you know what would you like as a as a as a gift and I was like well I'd really like to go to the retreat of this guy that I'd read about who was in Lanzarote he's British but he's in Lanzarote and I went out and um, Lanzarote is actually an amazing island in itself I know it has a reputation from Michael Palin Lanzarote it's beautiful you know it's volcanic and it's um, it's a really lovely island so i went to the retreat and you know I, I love cycling so i hired a bike and i spent i think i spent four days out there and um it was it was really transformational actually and i just came back and i i was you know i loved the job that i was doing i, I absolutely loved it so i wasn't about to do anything radical at that stage so for me it was always quite a slow burner and I'd come to it, I'd come back to it, I'd try other things, but I stayed very good friends with the um with the guy that ran that um that retreat. And um in the interim did 
I've done so many different things because really coming back to that curiosity and how to to live a, a better life. Um, I did so many things in between. And then about, I don't remember the time frame, maybe two and a half years ago, I, I just I just felt like I, I was actually advising someone else who phoned me up, a friend's wife from Italy, who had tried a breath session, something similar, and was was just totally blown away by it and wanted to know how she could train. And I was giving her advice of of the guy that I went to the retreat with, because by this time he was now training people to be breathwork um, coaches. And then I put the phone down and I just had this feeling of um, over the next week of I've never really had that before. Not so obvious um, that I, that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I'd already started my process of training uh, to be a forest bathing guide. And I just felt this slow kind of move towards this um, this idea of helping people to reconnect to nature and reconnect to themselves. And I can't really explain it beyond that. But I th- it was just a really strong feeling. I don't know if you call it intuition that this is what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. Right. So that's yeah, that's how it happened. And. And I'm curious, so when you did the first retreat, you, you described it as transformation. How was it transformation? Um, a, bit, a little bit like I described with Ashtanga Yoga. It was a, first, it's a deeper connection to myself. I mean, when you do this type of breath work, um, if you were to try it, maybe, maybe we could do a session one day, uh, is, I mean, my teacher describes it as it blew the doors open of of. I think people can have various experiences. So we talk about the experiences with breathwork into three categories. And one is a physical level. You don't necessarily know it whilst it's happening. But on a physical level, your cells, a bit like a car, the car relies on petrol or fuel um, to run. So the body cells rely on, on breath, really. Breath is oxygen and energy for its fuel. So when you're doing a breathwork session and on that retreat, particularly, you're doing two intense sessions a day. So what you're doing is bringing a huge amount of oxygen into the body. So you're refueling the cells of your body. So on a physical level, you're feeling quite amazing. And on an emotional level, what happens over the course of our lifetime is we, to be human really is to have emotional baggage. We all have it and we accumulate it because what happens is we start to feel uh, an emotion, and we will say that that emotions are energy running through your body. So, say you're feeling anger or grief or some of those kind of emotions, and maybe you're out in the supermarket, or maybe you're at school, or maybe you're at work, and somebody really upsets you. Particularly in British culture, you know, we're taught to, you know, be good, good people, good boys and girls, um, not explode in the supermarket or in the middle of the office. So. What happens is the body, um, the body basically goes, okay, we're not going to deal with this emotion right now, which is energy in effect coming through the body. We're not going to deal with it right now. We'll park it and we'll deal with it at another time. And so what happens is there becomes an accumulation of this emotional baggage. So this emotional energy over the course of our lifetime. And 
that's why sometimes people start to behave quite erratically all that i don't particularly like the phrase but the midlife crisis quite often these things come up in midlife because the body gets sort of bogged down with all these different things that we haven't really dealt with from big things like divorce or death to maybe the smaller things that kind of eat away at us over time so we talk about the body as being like a dusty old filing cabinet and what we're doing with this type of breathwork is we're going in with a feather duster and we're opening up the drawers and we're dusting out this emotional baggage that's been accumulated or this energy through the breath by bringing the breath into the body and it releases different types of emotions during a session. So people will have a range and literally everyone is different in the sense that there's 9 billion people on this planet. Everyone without, you know, without doubt, everyone that comes to a session has a different uh, reaction. And each time they come, they'll have a different reaction. So it may be physical. So people may shape because what you're doing when you're doing this type of breath is you're bringing more oxygen so more so more oxygen and energy into the body they may get like a tingling so they feel their hands and their feet their body may shake which is a way of releasing emotional baggage or um, you may call it trauma the word trauma is quite overused these days so some people's body may shake a lot some people have a lot of crying so they feel this emotion from various things that have happened over their lifetime release they may have a very big emotional reaction, so a lot of tears. They may have very quietly, very gentle. Some people have more, we may call it a spiritual reaction, but it might be just, um, some people don't like that word, so don't always use it that much, but something else that happens. So um, memories that surface from the past. So in the sessions, um, each session will have been very different for me during during four days of having two sessions a day. But if you think about all those things that are going on in the body, in the mind, with the, the emotions, then quite a lot gets released. And then you're going out and you're walking, or I was cycling as well, uh, going out into nature. And actually getting away from your day-to-day -day life, even if it's just for an hour and people come to me for an hour or sometimes they'll spend half a day, it doesn't have to be on a retreat in Lanzarote. They're taking time out of their lives to have, um, to take a break and focus on themselves. So at that point for me, I had four days of really focusing on myself and all those different things happening to me during those sessions. So for that reason, it was, it was quite profound. Right. Um, and I, I suppose it, I resonate with it because I, from the trauma release aspect to the extent to which that that's been a big part of my story and journey, not through breath work, but through you know, therapeutic uh, mm -hmm. uh, interventions, right? Yes. To talking therapies and feeling space therapies. Uh, so, uh, and I so I really relate. Well, that's been enormously trans transformational, you know, for me in my life. And it's just it's intriguing for for me to consider that there are. There are other modalities that can get you potentially to the same place. Uh, yeah, and for me, it always feels like less hard work, I think, than actually having to talk through it, actually lying there and having a breath session and have some of the same um, benefits as you would with a talking session. I, I think, um, to me, I find that quite appealing. But, you know, there's so many different ways and access to the things that we've accumulated, trauma, emotional baggage over the course of our lifetime. 
you know, there are so many fascinating therapies and modalities that are available, but this happens to be the one for me that I found most profound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, 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 I guess it, it, that, that experience stayed with you and ultimately, you know, yeah. years later. It, it, you yeah, know, it always stayed with me. Calling. I went back. I went back for another retreat. I sent, well, not I sent, but I, I spoke to other people about it. So friends went. And I, as I said, I stayed friends with my teacher. So, uh, you know, I, I went out on a, another trip to Lanzarote and I had a few more sessions. And also my teacher would, you know, at the time he was my, my therapist, I suppose, my breathwork coach. He would come to London and I would see him, but it would be in between discovering different things. But it was the one, I think, I, I, I stopped yoga because of, I mean, I could have probably gone into other types of yoga, but I stopped yoga because of the extent of my, you know, my injuries. And I felt like it, there must have come a point where I felt this isn't the right type of yoga for me because it's feeding into, you know, I'm an Aries, which is a kind of, um, you know, we're quite busy people, generally, most Aries, I certainly am one of them. And so it probably wasn't the right type of yogic practice for me. But the breath work was, I think, the one thing that has stayed with me throughout all the things that I've tried. Um, and yet, yeah, to such an extent that I then felt that I wanted to pass it on to other people, learn how to do it even more deeply, because in that process of learning to be a practitioner or teacher, a therapist, uh, there's lots of different words for it. You also learn or it elevates your learning about yourself as well, because I think in order to be a good, um, a good coach, a good practitioner, a good therapist is to actually have done the work yourself. So in learning to in learning, not just how to take people through a session, you also, you know, you've talked about your own therapy. I've done a lot of my own therapy as well. I, you know, I've done various things over the years. And um, so I've understood a bit about, you know, what's now called the shadow side. So what are the things that trigger me? I've done a lot of work on myself. So that's really important as well as just learning a, a technique to take people through. It's, it's all those things that you've been through yourself and you've discovered about yourself. and you know, in the process, we had to do a lot of case studies when I was training to, to be a breathwork coach. So all those things have had an effect and, and brought me to where I am from, you know, from just going and having a session myself to actually becoming very committed to it on a personal level in terms of my own practice and then taking people um, coming to me for sessions. Yeah, yeah. And um and so you reach that stage where in parallel you're doing your breathwork training and your the and the forest bathing. Yeah. And I never realized that um I got overwhelmed actually because I am a person historically who I see new things. You're a bit like maybe people like diamonds or shiny things. When I see new ways of kind of being and learning and, and interesting things, and I've got a tendency to to try too many things. But I always thought that actually adding the breathwork into the forest bathing would be would be fine. But actually, there came a, a point when I was really in the midst of my training and really just getting um, I started doing forest bathing talks and taking organizations on forest bathing walks. 
And actually, I realized that I was getting a bit overwhelmed with with the amount of information and learning because um, because I want to do things properly if I do something. And in fact, I love that kinesiology. 25 years ago, actually, I actually went on a four week training course. But I thought, you know, if I'm going to be anything like the woman that was teaching us, this is going to be a lifetime of learning. I always want to be as good as the person that is is mentoring me. So I, you know, know, maybe I put too much pressure on myself, but I felt quite overwhelmed in the early days of of when I brought the breathwork into the forest bathing training. But that's really... um, you know that's over the last few that, that years that's that's all ironed out now but yes it was it it was interesting but what i really like now which maybe i didn't realize at the beginning is combining the two i were I featured on another podcast called um postcards from midlife and i took the um the presenter trish halpin out for a session which combined forest bathing and breath work so leading people on a journey through the forest and we come to a, a sort of a camp that I've created in the forest. Very warm, very safe under a tree. So this one particularly was under a very old uh, yew tree. And actually having that combination of the breath work in a place where you feel very safe and held um, within a forest is for me really, you know, a, a very, very powerful combination, quite life changing. So actually, I don't know if I thought that at the beginning, but now, you know, if I can is to get people out into the forest. I would do it all the time. If we lived in Lanzarote, for example, where the weather was great all the time, then I think I would I would probably just offer that. But obviously, we've got the weather um, conditions in the UK to consider. But as much well, as you I just got to bring them all together, but for everyone around a fire. Well, that's the fight exactly. Then maybe that's the dream in the future having having a place in the forest where where you could combine you could com- combine all those different elements would be wonderful. I'm sure I will I will offer that at some point. Yeah. And so, well, explain to you a little bit about what what forest bathing is because I must admit I'll just own up to something you said. You know, it took you you know several years to train to yeah. to teach people to forest bathe. And I'm- what do you mean? Like, is it just a walk in the forest? What, exactly. what, do, you, what do you want about? Exactly. And actually, it could be, you know, when you go forest bathing, it's a series. In forest bathing, they're called invitations. And I'll, I'll backtrack to what it is in a moment. But invitations, which in, eff- in effect are exercises, but because that word is has connotations for people to school or to work, we call them invitations. And also it's because you don't have to do them. We invite you to do them. Actually, you can go and you can look those up online. And actually, I've created a series of, um, I call it forest bathing in your pocket. So a series of guides, you can put your headphones in, have your phone, which obviously is not ideal. But as long as you're keeping your phone just for that, you can wander around the forest and you can do forest bathing on your own. And once you've, you can either, it's the same with the breath work. You've got all the different levels. And for both the practices, I would say it's like gym, like the gym. I mean, obviously, you have to pay a fee to go to a gym, but you can go to the gym once you've paid your fee. You can go to the gym. You can go by yourself. And that can be fine some days. It can be not so good others. And actually, you look back and you realize that you've been cruising along. You can go at some point. You can go at the beginning, probably would be best, with um, a personal trainer. And that will show you what it's like 
when you do it properly and you can really set a benchmark for yourself. And then you can never go back to the personal trainer and you can keep going at the gym. Or at some point you get to the point where you're like, oh, hang on a minute, I've gone a bit off the boil. I think I'll go back to my personal trainer or I could go to a class. I could go to a group session. There's always a free point with the breath work. You can go online and you can put maybe not so much my type of breath work, but you can go to a workshop and that will cost you you know, a, a, an insignificant, relatively insignificant amount of money to go to a two and a half, three hour session. You can learn the technique. And if you're committed and you're dedicated, you can go off and you can do it by yourself. Or with the breathwork, I have a series of, gu- of audio guides that you can use. So I always use an audio guide. Or you can just listen to music. Once you've got the technique, off you are. You're, you're off and running. Same with forest bathing. You could literally go and you could read online some invitations and you could go off in the forest and you could go for your walk. And that works sometimes and other times it doesn't. I know that for myself because you may take your phone with you and then you think, OK, I've got these invitations. But then the busy mind comes in and it goes, mm, maybe I just what was that ping? Or I just check that text or I'll just do that. What happens by just by nature is we get distracted. And it's the same with the with the with the personal trainer. You're there and he's keeping or she is keeping you on track. It's the same with forest bathing. You can very much do it. And I, you know, provide some information on the website as to what you can do, or you can pay very little. I, I can't remember, 15 or 20 pounds for the forest bathing in your pocket, off you go. You can have that for life. But if you go. You come forest bathing again. It's not. It's not an expensive um, experience, really. You're coming for three hours. You're coming with a group. You can come and you can do that, and then you can think. Off, I'm, I'm off and running now. I've really learned it a bit better from someone. I'm off and running. So, those are the reasons or all the the parameters that you can use. You're absolutely right. Forest bathing is totally free to anyone, and that's the beauty of it. But if you think you might get distracted or you won't be quite sure how to do it, then come and join a group session. And forest bathing is predominantly done in a group setting because actually we come back and share. And I really like that element of it. So whilst we're teaching people to have a connection with the forest and with nature and, and teaching them how to do that through a series of invitations, um, you come back and you share each time. But in terms of what it is, is it was developed in Japan. So forest bathing, which is quite um, some people that I've trained with here maybe don't like that 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 translation because people still get confused and think you are going for a swim in the forest. Um, but well, it's, I actually it's, had the image of covering yourself in leaves or something and rubbing yellow leaves over your body or something. <laughs> I haven't had that one before, but yes. But it's a translation. So Shinrin Yoku translates as forest bathing or as a longer translation. It translates as um, there's lots of different uh, translations of it. But taking in the forest through your five senses for a greater sense of well-being would be a very long sort of translation of that. And it was born Shinrin Yoku then in Japan was born in the 1980s. And we kind of all know the classic of the Japanese businessman that was burnt out. What really happened in Japan was um, it's a very rural country. It's about something like 70, maybe even higher percentage of forest cover in 
Japan, but obviously then you've got Tokyo, and there was a there was a very big move towards um, uh, living in the cities. I think from the fifties onwards, and in the eighties, the Japanese government discovered or real not discovered but realised there was high senses uh, high um, instances of inflammation related diseases and also as we know quite high stress levels and that we, we'd all heard about that so the ministry of agriculture and fisheries set about um taking on a, over the years a couple of scientists who have written many books they're both still alive my dr Miyazaki and dr ching li um who would take groups of japanese businessmen out into the forest and lead scientific um um experiments and research, taking uh, blood samples, saliva samples, testing their sleep patterns, and coming up with a, a huge range of um, scientific research, which still goes on to this day. And there's a huge amount that you can look up proper scientific reports online, or you can go and read maybe Guardian articles, all sorts of things if you want it written in a bit of an easier format, in terms of the main headlines of the research that they discovered but i think i can't remember the figures now but they've spent millions of dollars pounds in this research which is still going on and if you go to japan it's a bit like we're starting to do now in britain with uh, green social prescribing and they're doing that in various counties i live in surrey and they're starting to really look at green social prescribing now and obviously that's escalated since we've realized um collectively what an amazing effect nature has on us through the pandemic um so in japan when you go to the doctor if you've got something like high blood pressure high stress levels you're not sleeping uh depression um the doctor will will take you down two different routes you can go down the more traditional well, what we would consider the traditional route with tablets or th therapy whatever it might be um or, you know, for example, blood pressure, you would have the tablets or depression, you would have whatever the Prozac. Or you could go and have a Shinrin Yoku experience. And there are around something like 64 centers in Japan set in forests where you will go with a guide for a certain number of duration. I think the minimum is three hours. And I imagine in Japan, you can probably stay for quite, quite a period of time. And you will have um, go on Shinrin Yoko experiences to help you with your blood pressure, with your stress levels, um, with your sleep. Because the research, and this is why I like um, forest bathing, is because the research backs it up. Breathwork is still in the early days of doing a lot of research with breathwork, which is, you know, which is quite incredible, really, because it's been around for thousands of years and the benefits have been seen for thousands of years. But I like it because I can explain to people before a session um, where it's come from and why it's good for you because they'll feel it. But I think it's quite good, you know, with modern human beings, it's quite good to explain to them as well the background and the science. So the main sort of sort of headlines of the scientific research is that if you have high or low blood pressure, it will regulate your blood pressure. So the first set of scientific uh, research that they did was taking, I think, 12 Japanese businessmen and uh, taking them for three hours into the forest. And then that was, I think, in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they took them for three hours to a shopping center and just measured. And you can imagine what, what the difference in results were. But things that you wouldn't 
have ordinarily expected. So the regulation of the high and the low blood pressure, there's various different researches, but sleep uh, improving by 15%. Um, one that I think is the most fascinating, which is about what trees give off, particular trees. And this is where we're doing a lot more research in Surrey, actually, through an institute in Surrey about the types of trees that we have here versus in Japan. But particularly, they have a lot of cedar trees in Japan. But trees and all plants give off something called phytoncides. So these are chemicals, really. Yeah, like essential oils that the trees give off. And that helps them to ward off attack from insects or, you know, maybe deers, different attacks that the trees may get. They give off these chemicals to ward off attack. But what's really amazing is when we breathe in these phytoncides, what they discovered in Japan is they boost what's called our NK, which stands for natural killer cells. And those are the cells that go around the body that scavenge for sort of dying or cells that aren't quite perfect, but also for cancer cells. And going for a period of three hours in the forest and breathing in these phytoncides, these essential oils, boosts your um, your NK, your natural killer cells, for up to a week. If you spend a day in the forest, it will boost them for a up to a month. And what's really great is you've got all these um, scientific research um, papers in Japan to back all these um, these um, these findings up. Um, that, you, that I've spoken about the regulation of of, um, of blood pressure, but also the effect that it has on your nervous system, so on your vagus nerve, and putting the body into um, what's called, you have two different types of nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. This is relevant to the breathwork as well, but we I've spoken about it briefly before, but we, we, we spend a lot of time in our head. So we talk about it as being an inverted triangle. So the energy is all going upwards here. When you do your breathwork or when you go into the forest, what we're doing is we're bringing that energy down into the body and we're relaxing the body and we're putting it into the parasympathetic nervous system mode which is the rest, digest and relax mode. So what they've discovered in Japan is the effect of being in the forest and what that has on your parasympathetic nervous system. When you only need to look at people, when I have people come, I have all sorts of people come. I had a lady come to my last session who wrote to me several times <clears throat> before the session because she was bringing her teenage son. He was, you know, really into gaming. She'd lost this connection with him. And actually, she asked him as a favor to her for her birthday present if he would come along to the session with her. And he was a bit like, yeah, all right, mum, I'll do it. And when he arrived, we all gathered, you know, other people within the group and the mum gathered and the son was still in the car. And she's like, I'm really sorry. He's 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 wants to finish his the, his game that, you know, he's his game that he's on he didn't arrive so we kind of we, we sort of walked to the start point she said he'll catch us up so he arrived a bit kind of in that energy and um by the end of the session and, and I actually sh she wrote to me afterwards and she was just overjoyed by because in some parts of the session we asked people to pair up to do uh, invitations like I spoke to you about exercises and I thought at one point, I thought, there's no way he's going to want to pair up with his mum. But he did. And um, by the end of the session, um, 
you know, he had his sort of hat or his hood sort of pulled down over his over his sort of face, his eyes. And I was like, how did you find the session? And he pulled his hood off and he was like, you know what? You know, it was really good. And she was just overjoyed by the interaction that they'd had together. She wrote me a lovely note afterwards in terms of what he was telling people in the family when he got home, which is really unexpected. But it took her out of her sort of anxiety of how he was, her disconnection with him. It took him out of his, you know, I'm not saying it's anxious to play games, but you're in a very different state. But him in a very different state when he came into the forest and by the time he'd finished being in the forest. So it really puts people into a very different state of mind, which tends to last quite a while from my own experience and the experience I've had of others. Um, But again, it's down to that person as to what they do beyond the session. But it's um, it has a, a very, a very relaxing effect on our nervous system. And that's been proven by research. And there's another element of that, which is about which I spoke about earlier, the biophilia hypothesis, which is that we've actually evolved in nature. And actually, it was only really take those 11,000 years ago that I spoke about when we moved from being hunter gatherers and maybe started building little houses for ourselves and particularly speeded up from the Industrial Revolution when we started spending less and less time in nature. But we've evolved in nature. And if you look at our feet, it's like. Well, have you ever looked at your feet and wondered why they are like there are? Well, they were used, you know, they were they were created, for want of a better word, to help us climb up trees. And when we're in a forested environment, all that kind of messiness of nature, you know, there's no structure to it. Actually, that has a very calming effect on our body. And there's research done by two people called Kaplan and Kaplan, and they've termed it soft fascination. And it's that idea when you let your eyes wander so you could lie on your back and you could do cloud gazing. Um, But what we do in the forest is I get people to lie down on a sheet and gaze up into the canopy of the trees. I can honestly say every time I do that, it is really hard to get people up from it. People are exhausted and they're overwhelmed. And this comes back to what you were saying before. Can you not just go for a walk in the forest? You can, but how many of you, how many of us, myself maybe included, would go into a forest and would just lie down and look up at the trees? Particularly if you're a woman, you'd sort of be a bit anxious about that. When you're in a group and somebody's taking you out and you're as a group, by that point, I do it sort of a bit later into the session. You've all got to know each other a little bit. It's not like the first thing. Right, everyone. No, no, it isn't. But you could, to be honest, it's absolutely fine as well. There'd be no reason to. I mean, you're all, you know, no, nobody's on top of each other. I mean, you're all spread out, but you're just looking up. And it, it's so difficult to get people up when they're down there because they're just like, oh my God. And it's, again, it's another scientifically improved, uh, a proven bit of research is that the eyes, when they're looking around at nature, rather than being in a square box of the house, we weren't developed for that. And of course, we're modern human beings and our evolution is sped up very quickly. And um, this research is based on the idea that actually we've evolved in nature and that's what we feel most at home. But sometimes we may have forgotten that. So um, I hope that's answered your question. Very long. Well, answer. that is very, 
<laughs> there was a lot, a lot to tell you about. Answer my question. No, 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 that's, um, yeah, that's great. And I, I, I feel enlightened. Um, and I, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've been in forests a lot. I spend out uh, go canoeing through the forest near where we yeah. are with my kids, but I don't, I don't, I don't consciously think, am I connecting through all of my senses? I certainly don't lie down and gaze at the cafe. So there are, there are obviously several aspects to, there to explore are. in terms of there what we are. can be doing when we're in a forest. Yeah. And I think it, just to explain to you about those five senses, even going in and getting people just to so, for example, with the hearing sense is, um, you know, I can hear the birds, for example, outside now, just isolating the other senses. We're a very, very visual species. And I'm not saying we don't do visual things in the forest because I've spoken about gazing up at the canopy, mm. but we do lots of other things that actually close off the senses and things like um, listening in the forest. So listening to bird song that's right near you or maybe in the distance um, particularly where I do quite a lot of my forest bathing sessions is with the Surrey Wildlife Trust and we've got this lovely little private nature reserve but beyond that in the distance I mean quite a bit in the distance but there's main roads as the M25 at some point depending on there if you're there in the winter or the summer maybe there's no leaves you can hear things in the distance so you're beginning to isolate off your senses and a bit like you associate with people who, um, you know, have little vision or no vision. We always talk about their other senses being heightened or they talk about their other senses being heightened. It's a bit like heightening your senses for your hearing. But I don't know about you, but I was always brought up, you know, I go in a shop, my parents would be like, don't touch anything. Mm. Those simple kind of instructions mean that maybe you go through life and you don't touch a lot of things and certainly not out in nature or that's poisonous mushrooms that's poisonous don't touch it or um that's poisonous don't touch it for a plant we don't really know because we're so disconnected from nature and from our plants what's in our hedgerows we don't really touch anything so again coming back to when you're with someone or when you've at least done a session you begin to know what you can and can't touch. I mean, to be honest, there's most things you can touch in the forest, but I, you know, get people to pair up. Again, we close down the visual sense and start to touch things. And just touching the bark of a tree or some moss um, has a very amazing effect on people because they maybe haven't done it since they were a child. And quite a lot of the things that we do in Forest bathing, so I can only speak for my sessions because each person that you'll go to will do a different forest bathing experience for you. But is just by, um, by, by just noticing what you're touching and relating it back to childhood memories. But in, in terms of that is really expanding your sense of awe and wonder. And I'm really, really fascinated by that. I read a, I read a book, in fact, I met the author He's Italian, but lives in, in London. I'm trying to remember the name of his book now, but it was all about increasing your sense of awe and wonder. And I went to a talk years ago with a, 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 a couple of people who were talking about this and how we've lost our sense of awe and wonder. And when we're in the forest, I really focus on that. I focus on that thing because as adults, we don't give ourselves permission to have fun. And, and that's another point. Forest bathing is not all serious. And I, and I think you touched on this in another podcast, which is this well-being space. You know, sometimes people think it can be quite serious. 
the forest bathing is a real mixture of having some fun and not being serious, but being quiet, having quiet time and mindful time with the forest. And those, you know, parts of isolating your senses are quiet time, but also they're having a bit of fun pairing up with someone else, getting them to guide you around the forest and feeling different things. Um, so it's, 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 there's lots of different levels to it, and one of which, which is engaging your sense of awe and wonder whilst exploring the senses and the sense of smell. If you live in a city, you don't realise it, but you close off your sense of smell because there's quite a lot of things in a city that don't smell very nice. You get like a, quite a mixture of different smells in a city. Or even maybe when you're out in nature and there's lots of, I don't know, cow pats or whatever it is. We don't, we don't necessarily engage our sense of smell that much. We might do when we're going to a restaurant and some food smells nice, but do we go around um, sniffing some of the plants? Or, we, you know, we might do with the rose in the summer, but actually in the forest, I'm getting people just to, you know, sniff bits of moss that are on the, on the trees or dig um you know maybe if people don't want to do that i sort of dig into the forest floor you know there's thousands of years of leaf fall if that forest is in an ancient forest where there's literally you know hundreds thousands of years of leaf falling and beautiful rich soil just dig a little bit and pick that up and get people to smell it or even do it themselves always people say it reminds them of childhood or some people will say describe it as which is beautiful, it's incredibly touching, is it, it smells like home. And that, that when somebody said that to me, for me, that is a link back to the fact that we have evolved in nature. And I used to play a lot out in my garden, I had my own little patch of garden where I grow little vegetables. And I'd always have my hands and, you know, you know, my feet maybe in the soil. So for me, maybe that that would be the same. But maybe for people who have evolved in the city, growing up in the city, they would have a different response, but it's all positive to, to that smelling of the soil. I've never had anybody had a bad reaction to that. So you don't do that because generally, it's one of the most common things people say to me is, I, you know, I spend loads of time out in Asia, take my dog for a walk. It's already different when you take your dog for a walk because you're focusing on your dog, calling your dog back, where's your dog going? Is it is it to, you know is it going to fight with another dog or has it wandered off? Your focus is not on yourself and it's not on nature, and it's the same when you go walking. Most of the time, we're going to have a phone on us either for safety or because we're waiting for a call. That further disconnects us from our surroundings, so we get distracted. It's very very different when you come and somebody is leading you and taking you on a session because you don't get distracted because. They're always reminding you. And it's a bit like the breath work. When you're doing your own practice, sometimes the sessions are great. Other times you get distracted. Whereas if you've got someone or you've got an audio guide to remind you, it brings you back. So it's about providing lots of different tools for people at different price points and at different different requirements. Right. And it sort of leans, leads back to where we started this podcast on the theme of connection. You know, this is connection all, this is yeah. this is all about connection and it actually chimes with uh some we had a, an, another episode of the podcast and someone was citing research of how being in nature enhances our creativity and that links to what yeah. you spoke about in terms of awe and wonder but and also made the point only if you don't have technology so you, so the 
the the benefits uh, are dependent on you not, not yeah i mean technology. i i have not done this with people but i went on um on a wonderful 24 hours of living and being outside with somebody that had grown up um in the sinai desert and used to run uh, sort of silent retreats there and I don't know if you've ever tried or ever discussed uh, on your podcast uh, water divining. You know those rods? Oh, I don't yes, yes. Them. They're copper rods, and they cross over um, when water is present. But, but the body is 70% water. And basically this man um, showed me, I and mean, it was quite incredible really, what happens when you've got your phone on you and not even when you've got your phone on you and switched off. But that it's still emitting some sort of, I don't know, would you call that electromagnetic energy? I'm not quite sure. Mm. But basically, he got me to stand a distance from him um, with my phone. And I don't know if you know, but human beings have an energy field. And depending on how we're feeling, if we're quite stressed, that energy field tends to be closer to our body. Um, And if we're full of gratitude, feeling great about life, that tends to extend. And if you think that's a bit crackpot, I mean, it, it's it's not. It, I mean, we're just learning about all of these things in the West. But the way that you can check that for yourself is, is with animals. And if you go into a field where there's a horse or some horses, and they're, they're quite far away in the other field and they're facing the other direction, what you'll discover is you can come really, really quietly and they can be quite far away so they won't hear you. They will turn around because a horse's energy field is really quite large. So they'll sense you, you're coming into their energy field. And you you can experience that by some people that you really like and some people that you don't, or you feel that somebody's coming a bit too, uh, I think you say you're coming into my personal space. Mm. It's all about that energy field. So we were already kind of, out in nature but we hadn't properly gone into the forest and spent quite a bit of time i don't i think it was shortly after i'd driven up to see him sort of near the cotswolds and i had my phone on me and he brought the rods up and he'd walk from about 15 meters towards me had my phone on me you know recently been in the car and the rods crossed over because they're detecting i think the water in your body came up really close to me, you know, say about, I don't know if you can see on there, but say about mm. about this close to me. Mm. And I think we tried it with the phone on and the phone off. There wasn't really that much difference. We then, um, I then put the phone to one side, so I had the phone nowhere near me. And he did the same process, repeated the same process. And he, I was, um, say it was uh, 30 centimetres from me with my phone. It was probably, uh, let me just think about, it's probably two meters without my phone. So my energy field had extended. Now, everybody's different with that energy field. And obviously, I practice breath work and do different things. I spend a lot of time out in nature. So maybe my, you know, you don't need to really focus on the fact that it's two meters, one meters, whatever. The fact is that my energy field was much greater when I didn't have my phone on me. And why that relates to the forest is that actually it means that you're more susceptible to your environment in terms of um, a greater connection to keep to the to the word of that seems to be of the focus of today. You're having a greater connection with your environment. You're more open. We then repeated that process after we'd spent 24 hours. Um, we actually slept in the forest 
and my energy and we didn't have the phone we we didn't we, we practice it with the phone that wasn't necessary but um my energy field had expanded i don't know by about six times so wow. it was incredible so the thing that but the thing that really stayed with me was the effect that a phone has on you and how it blocks your your energy um people and that's talk- a new perspective because i i my when i understood what she was saying in terms of it blocking your your creativity i was thinking that was because you were distracted right you're thinking there's about that as well i mean that is right. what she would but, be meaning but yeah, it puts exactly. another level on it. it puts another level on it right which i'd never considered so yeah that's fascinating well that's yeah. why i think it's it's a re- it's a really amazing thing to get um we did this we ran a series of retreats last year getting organizations some b corp organizations out into nature and doing breathwork sessions forest bathing sessions and also sort of journaling and creativity sessions but doing it out in nature um has for me another level again if you can get your team out and you can get them spending time in nature without technology so you're literally writing down the ideas and the creativity you come with uh, uh, come up with and also moving so maybe doing moving walks there's a lot of um people now doing therapy on the move and outside rather sitting somewhere also meetings w- walking meetings but being out workshops workshops that's it being out in the forest the reason for this is because it expands our creativity um beyond being in somewhere with four walls and sitting with electromagnetic devices right well um we're coming on with time i've actually got another another commitment soon but this has been a fascinating conversation and uh yeah very inspiring enlightening educational i've really appreciated everything you've shared uh and totally hopefully this will inspire a few people to explore <laughs> breath so. work and getting out in uh, into so. nature and doing the forest bathing yeah i really hope so i hope it's touched some people on some level even to try a couple of things you know look up an invitation online just go out and try one thing even if you are going out with your phone or with a dog or with someone else just try something and with breath work so many type of different breath works out there but just um these are all tools to help people with the bombardment and the overwhelmment that that we so often feel so coming back to these tools when you feel out of balance i think is really what's necessary and required um for our busy busy world yes yes now let's tell people where they can find you because i know you've got websites for for all three of the well, four, yeah, we didn't even multiple, touch on, we didn't didn't touch on the sea bathing. I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no that's <laughs> fine. So, yeah, so just um, to to call out the you know the the URLs where people can yep. find uh, more. So, breathwork is wonderbreath.co. So, there's not .co.uk or .com. It's just .co. And the forest bathing website is forestbathingmadeinbritain.com. Quite a long one. And then I run a community um, uh, group down in Selsey, which is just near Chichester in West Sussex. And you can join any time for free for a swim throughout the seasons. We have a monthly gathering and some gatherings in between. And that's called the SelseySeaBathingSociety.com. Awesome. And we'll put links into the description. Well, thanks once again, Justine. This has been uh, fantastic, and uh, yeah, I'm, immediately I'm taking things. I'm gonna <laughs> like for I've always I've always known the phone thing, and I'm I'm just gonna make it much. I'm gonna be disciplined around whenever I get out into nature, just not 
not having the phone even on me and off, right? That would be uh, brilliant. Would be yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah, I get to experiment with that. So fantastic. Thanks very much. Uh, and uh, and I'm inspired to check. Yeah, I'm going to see if there are any um, yeah forest bathing sessions. Yeah. Uh, that you, I could get I'm to. sure there yeah. would be. In fact, I'm yeah. sure I could put you in touch with someone if you can't find them. I know yeah. lots of people running sessions. So yeah, great. Okay, well, thanks once Thank again. You very much. Thank All you. Right. Bye. See you. Bye bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.